Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder... We talk a lot about how dangerous desperation can be, but usually we are talking about how it drives a person to kill. But what happens when it is the police who are filled with that same level of desperation? On January 3rd, 2018, a woman's life was forever changed after over a decade behind bars for a crime that police were absolutely certain she committed. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, Sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On July 8, 2001, the body of Duran Bailey was found next to a dumpster in Las Vegas, Nevada. The houseless man had been so brutalized that his eyes were swollen shut, his skull cracked, several teeth were knocked out, his carotid artery was cut, and his penis removed. Because Duran was not known to have many friends, he was never reported missing, and no one went searching for him prior to the grisly discovery. No one knew what happened to Duran Bailey, but just 10 days later, with rumors swirling that the killer had fled to Panaca, police arrested a young woman and identified her as their suspect. How exactly were they led to this conclusion? Well, Kirsten Blaze Lobato, just 18 years old at the time, grew up in Panaca, Nevada, about three hours away from Las Vegas. A few months before Duran was brutally murdered, Kirsten, while visiting friends in Vegas, was viciously attacked in a motel parking lot by a man who was trying to rape her. 
Carrying a small knife given to her for protection by her father, Kirsten slashed at the man's groin and managed to escape before things got any worse. When she drove away, she saw the man on the ground, moving and allegedly crying. Though most would see her actions as brave, for the next few weeks, Kirsten told friends and family about the near miss with a large black man who approached her at the Budget Suites Hotel on Boulder Highway. Telling at least nine individuals about the attack, on July 20th, 2001, nearly two weeks after Duran's murder, the Metro Police Department got a call from a Panaka resident telling them all about the story they had heard about Kirsten Labada. Hearing from another resident that the young girl actually cut off the man's penis, detectives immediately got in their cruisers and drove straight to her family home. Telling Kirsten that they knew all about the attack, but wanted her first-hand account, Kirsten told them all about what happened that May and, very clearly, described the motel parking lot where it took place. Despite the incident taking place in the months before Duran Bailey's murder, in a totally different location, and the fact that Kirsten said she simply slashed at the man, leaving him alive, and did not beat him, police became convinced that the man who attacked her and the man they found dead near that dumpster were one in the same. Telling Kirsten that her attacker died, the young girl expressed her remorse and also made some comments that detectives at the time took as a confession. Not seeing the glaring differences between the two incidents, the teenager was charged with Duran's murder and taken into custody. In doing so, they failed to look into any other possible perpetrators, like the male friends of a woman who, on July 1st, just a week before his murder, Duran Bailey allegedly assaulted, raped, and threatened to kill if she told anyone about what happened. She lived in an apartment complex right next to the bank where his body was found, had reported the attack to police on July 5th, and told a number of male neighbors and friends who had an ongoing dispute with Duran about what happened, giving each of them a very clear motive. Focusing all resources on Kirsten Labada, the young girl was taken to a trial where the entire case hinged not on any actual physical or forensic evidence, but on her supposed confession and the statements of those she told about the attack. The prosecution even acknowledged that she was in Panaka as of 11.30 a.m. on July 8th, but relying heavily on the medical examiner's time of death, claimed that Duran was killed a total of 24 hours before he was pronounced dead at 3.50 a.m. on July 9th, placing his time of death at about 4 a.m. on July 8th, a time where Kirsten's alibi could not be corroborated by witnesses. Though many, including the prosecution, expected her to plead not guilty by reason of self-defense, Kirsten denied the crime entirely and refused a plea deal that would have seen her serve just three years in prison. Insisting that she was home in Panaka when the man was killed, an alibi confirmed by her family, her attorneys did whatever they could to try and discount the supposed confession that led to her arrest. The prosecution countered by calling Kirsten a known methamphetamine user and claimed she killed Duran Bailey during a dispute over sex and drugs. Despite her attorneys bringing in experts stating that she could not have killed this man based on the physical evidence, people whose testimony was suppressed by the judge, and comparing the case to the Salem witch trials, after an overnight deliberation, the jury found Kirsten Labada guilty of first-degree murder and she was sentenced to 40 to 100 years in prison. 
Unwilling to give up and knowing that she was innocent, Kirsten and her lawyers spent the next two years trying to get the conviction thrown out. They were successful on September 3rd, 2004, when the Supreme Court determined that her attorneys were unable to cross-examine a prosecution witness. Her case was remanded for a new trial, and on October 6th, 2006, she was convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to 13 to 15 years in prison, lifetime supervision by the DOC as a dangerous criminal, and a lifetime registration as a sex offender. Though a drastic difference from her first conviction, Kirsten still refused to accept defeat and again filed for an appeal that was denied in October of 2009. That's around the time that Justice Denied got involved in the case and conducted an intensive investigation of their own. Finding new evidence, as well as more than two dozen witnesses willing to testify to her innocence, in May of 2010, Kirsten filed a habeas corpus petition that included 79 grounds for a new trial. It was denied in August of 2011. She appealed, and back in February of that same year, she filed a post-conviction petition for DNA testing of the crime scene evidence that the Innocence Project agreed to pay for. This, too, was denied. She appealed again, but was dismissed by the Nevada Supreme Court. That's when a petition appeared online demanding the Nevada courts test the evidence in Kirsten's case, which they claimed would once and for all prove her innocence. Then, in 2014, the judge in both of her trials, Judge Vega, after being charged with misconduct and publicly reprimanded by the Nevada Commission on Judicial Discipline, chose not to run for re-election and stepped down from the bench in 2015. This set the ball back in motion, and on November 23, 2016, the Nevada Supreme Court remanded 27 of her grounds to the district court, 25 of which were based on new evidence. With a new judge presiding over the case and an entomologist concluding that the time of death was indeed during a time where Kirsten had a solid alibi, her habeas corpus petition was granted and her conviction was vacated. A new trial was ordered based on the new forensic evidence, but on December 29, 2017, all of the charges were dismissed. She walked out of prison on January 3, 2018, a free woman after 16 years behind bars. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on January 4th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.